All right, so I got a word for you this morning. I'm actually going to continue my parable series. Uh, my word for you today comes out of Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. It's on the parable of the yeast or the leaven, or some say Levon. Uh, and uh, the title of my message today is Yeast of the Kingdom versus Christian Atheism. Yeast of the Kingdom versus Christian atheism. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. This is what it says. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Uh, next, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. And it says, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, minds to understand, and a will to respond, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So here we see Jesus speaks of two types of yeast or two types of leaven. First, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Look at your neighbor. Say, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Bars. <laughs> Bars. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like yeast. And he said, it's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in six measures or three measures of meal, which is actually about 60 pounds of flour. Wow. It's a lot of flour. So the kingdom of heaven is like this little amount of yeast that gets mixed into a large amount of flour until it was all leavened. It worked its way through the entire dough so that it caused the entire dough to rise. Okay. Flour without leaven, without yeast, is just flour. But when you add the leaven, there's something in it that causes it to rise, that causes it to come to life, that causes it to become bread. Yeah. But then he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Yeah. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees, Jesus says. Because just like the kingdom of heaven is one type of yeast, the doctrine of the Pharisees is another kind of yeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we want to understand what Jesus meant by the leaven of the Pharisees, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. The scripture says, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus says, there's the yeast of the kingdom, and then there's the yeast of the Pharisees. The yeast of the kingdom gets mixed into the flour of the rest of your life works its way all the way through your life and causes your whole life to come alive. Yeah. 
but the yeast of the Pharisees, if you get it on the inside of you, also works its way through the entirety of the, of the flower of your life so that it causes your life to come alive in a particular way. So you got to choose which yeast you're going to submit to. You got to choose which yeast you're going to consume. Because if you consume one type of yeast, you're going to become one type of a person. But if you consume another type of yeast, you're going to become another type of person. Jesus says, consume the yeast of the kingdom, not the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, we're going to break this down a little bit. Jesus says that the yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Everybody say hypocrisy. The word in the Greek for hypocrisy literally means to put on a face. It's about the actors in ancient Greece were called hypocrites. It was just another word for actors. It meant that they were pretending to be someone on a stage in front of people that they were not in real life. That's really the definition of an actor. Jesus says the Pharisees are just actors. They put on a face in public so that they appear to be one way. But that's not actually who they are behind closed doors. You see, the yeast of the Pharisees is defined as external piety with no internal commitment. External piety with no internal commitment to faithfulness. External piety with no internal commitment to faithfulness. That's hypocrisy. I put on my nicest suit when I come to church on Sunday, but then I go home and slap my wife around (laughs) and kick the dog. Completely different person at home than I am at church. That's the nature of hypocrisy. I put on a face, and why do I put on a face? So that I'm perceived in a particular kind of way. That's the whole goal, is how you see me. (laughs) My my uncle said to me one time, Benjamin, I was a little boy, he's going to teach me a life lesson. I, I... Grab my pencil and paper. I want to hear what this man has to say. He says, never forget this. If you don't have money, make them think you got money. (laughs) That was his wisdom. (laughs) If you don't got money, make them think you got money. (laughs) That's it. Pretend. Put on a face. It's all about how you're perceived. It's not about what's in your bank account. It's about what people perceive about you. Now, Jesus describes in a few different scriptures, three different scriptures come to mind, in which Jesus describes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Already in Matthew chapter 6, 1, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the first thing he says is, the Pharisees give to be seen by men. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when you do a a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So literally, Jesus is saying the Pharisees, you can tell a Pharisee because when they give an offering at church, they blow a trumpet and announce it. They want everybody to see how much they're giving. They want everybody to know how much they're giving. And so it's hypocrisy because they do it to be seen by men, but not to honor God. 
And then he talks about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What do hypocrites want? They want you to see them. They put on a face so they can be seen and perceived in a particular type of way. So Jesus says the Pharisees, when they pray, they don't spend a minute of prayer privately at home. You can tell a Pharisee because as soon as they get on the, as soon as they get the mic, oh, Father God, and you know what I mean? It's like, thou Father, thou great, thou with thy aguanusiousness, thou hast blessed us, you know? But at home, you don't hear a peep out of me. No private prayer, all public prayer, I'm praying to be seen. Okay, now look at Matthew 6, 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You can tell when a Pharisee's fasting. What's wrong with you? I'm fasting. Well, you just got your reward. You fasted to be seen by men and you were seen by men. God bless you. Jesus says, that's not how, that's how the yeast of the Pharisees works. That's not how the yeast of the kingdom works. The yeast of the kingdom, on the contrary, is characterized by an internal commitment leading to an external manifestation. It's an internal commitment that leads to an external manifestation, whereas the yeast of the Pharisees is an external piety with no internal commitment. The yeast of the kingdom is internal commitment leading to an external manifestation. It means that what I do, I do in secret. I don't do it to be seen by you. I don't do it to be heard by you. I do it to be seen by my Father who is in heaven. Look at Matthew 6, 3. But when you give, when you do a charitable deed, literally he's talking about giving in the temple at the time, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. When you give, when you give an offering, you know, only a few times in the history of our church, people have come directly to me to give their offering. They won't put it in the plate. Won't do it online. They come to me and put the envelope in my hand. Pastor, I want you to have this. So, wait, is this for me? No, it's for the church. Well, then give it to the church. Go put it in the box over there. Don't give it to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what'd you give it to me for? Well, they, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be known that I gave. Jesus says, that's hypocrisy. Do it in secret. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It's an internal commitment that has an external manifestation. Yeah. Right? Verse 17. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, verse 18, so that you do not appear to be fasting, but to your Father who is in heaven, in the, who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Nobody should know you're fasting. Don't disfigure your face. Get up and take a shower, put on clean clothes, and go to work. <laughs> right? 
He goes on to talk about this as we continue in Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's literally saying that the yeast of the Pharisees has to do with where their treasure is. They made a fundamental decision that their primary treasure is on the earth. Their primary, the primary reward that they desire is from men, from people. The primary attention that they want is earthly. The primary treasure that they want is earthly. And Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, because when you make that fundamental decision in your heart that you're going to live your life for an earthly reward, that fundamental decision is like yeast that works its way through the dough of your entire life. And it may take time to rise because it's got a ferment, but it will inevitably happen. That before you know it, you're living your entire life for an earthly kingdom, for earthly gain, for earthly attention, for an earthly reward, and you've completely missed the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees had become so steeped in this way of life that Jesus came, the Son of God, the, the, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and they missed him. Yeah. You say, well, they didn't have evidence. He worked miracles in front of them. He raised the dead in front of them. He healed the sick in front of them. He made the lame to walk in front of them. He made the blind to see in front of them. And they still didn't believe him. Why? Because he was a threat to their way of life. He was a threat to their earthly reward. And if Jesus is a threat to your earthly reward, you will not receive him. You reject him just like the Pharisees did. Yeah. The heart of it is here, Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Do you see the distinction? It's very subtle, isn't it? He's not saying that God doesn't want you to have any money. He's saying, don't seek money first, seek the kingdom of God first. He's not saying that God doesn't want you to have love. He's simply saying, don't seek love first, seek the kingdom of God first. Not saying that God doesn't want you to have a good career. He's just saying, don't seek your career first, seek the kingdom of God first. Not saying that God doesn't want you to have a wonderful family. He's simply saying, don't seek your family first, seek the kingdom of God first. It's about what's first in your life. That's all, because the fundamental decision to put the kingdom first is like yeast that works its way through every area of your life. It's a gateway drug. It leads to the hard stuff, like the fullness of the Holy Spirit, like seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. It all started with a simple decision. I'm going to put the kingdom first. And I'm going to find out how to apply that to every area of my life. Because here is the alternative that we don't realize. At the end of the day, 
Pharisaicalism is a subtle form of atheism. There's a Christian atheism that's rampant in the body of Christ today. Christian atheism. How can you be a Christian atheist? Christian atheism is simply professing to believe in God, but living like he doesn't exist. Professing to believe in God, but living like he doesn't exist. Meaning, declaring him with your mouth, but denying him with your life. He's the Christ of your profession, but you've denied him with your decision. You've made a profession of faith, but a decision of unbelief. You're confessing him with your mouth, but denying him with your life. And Jesus is literally saying of the Pharisees that they're praying, they're fasting, and they're giving reveal that they don't actually believe in God. Why? Because if you're praying to be seen by men, you must not even believe that God sees you. Think about it. If you're praying to be seen by people, then you just don't believe that God sees you. Because if you truly believed and were aware of the fact that God hears you when you pray, you wouldn't need to be seen by people. I don't care if you see me or not. I'm not praying to you. I'm not praying to be seen by you. Why? You have to believe God is real in order to have that attitude. You got to believe that he hears you. Think about it. If you're fasting to be seen by men, you must believe that there's no divine reward for your fast. God's not going to do anything. And if God's not going to do anything for me, well, then I might as well get some credit. Might as well use it to make me look more holy. Might as well use it to, you know, get a better seat in the church. And this applies especially to your financial giving. Because if you don't believe that God actually sees your gift and responds to your gift with his blessing... Well, then there's really only three things you can do. First is you can give to check a religious obligation off of your list. Second, you can give to try to obtain influence or favor or attention. Or three, you just don't give at all. And all three are atheist. And a lot of Christians live in one of those three categories. Either I give, <laughs> I, I love it. You know, sometimes some of the most vocal people are the ones who give nothing. <laughs> what I mean by that is like people, sometimes some of the people who have like had the biggest problems with decisions that the church has made, you find out they don't give nothing. And by the way, I'm not going to check to see what you give. So don't, I'm not talking to none of y'all because I don't even know. It's be, because it's not, it's, it's not between you and me. It's between you and God. Yeah. I've heard somebody say, you know, I don't like to give financially, but I sure like to have influence over the decisions of the church. <laughs> I don't like to give, but I, I sure like to have a say in how the money's spent. 
atheist. It's Christian atheist. It's Christian because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You just don't believe that he sees your offering and respect. Like, you don't believe that what he said about money is true. You believe that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. See, there's all kinds of Christian atheism. I believe that what the Bible said about Jesus is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Son of God. He died for my sins. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. I just don't believe what the Bible says about sexuality. So when I step outside of the church and I'm not talking about theology, I'm an atheist. I live the rest of my life like God's not real. This is poignant this time of year. Very subtle. There's a sermon brewing in my heart called The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. Babylon didn't actually carry off all of the Israelites. They just took a sizable percentage of the brightest and best of them. That's what happens in captivity. And we didn't realize it till too late that the pandemic was a form of captivity. Not immediately. You know, when the pandemic first hit in 2020 and we had to go to online services only. And initially, I mean, we thought we lost everybody. No, 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 no. Initially, there was a surge. I mean, small churches had more than 1,000 people attending their online live stream. Remember in the beginning, we had like 1,500, 2,000 people attending our live stream every Sunday morning. From all over the world. I mean, there was this surge in interest in God. As soon as something goes bad, I need you. Oh, I need you. Why? Because my earthly reward has been threatened. My earthly treasure is in danger. I better go find God. Giving even went up in 2020. Do you realize that 2020 is offering double 2019s? But as soon as everything went back to quote-unquote normal, not only did all of those kind of bandwagon believers fall off, but you know what happened in Babylon? They were there 70 years. And then all of a sudden, God makes a way for them to return home. But there was a group of them that had done so well in Babylon. They had prospered in Babylon. And they were like, Nehemiah, we're not going. We're staying here. And there was a group of people that just remained in Babylon. Forgot about the God of Israel. Forgot about the temple. Why? Because their businesses were booming. They just got so comfortable in Babylon Well, what happened after the pandemic is that a whole bunch of believers got carried off by what I call bedside Babylon. (laughs) They got so used to sleeping in on Sunday morning. They thought, you know what, I'm just not going back. I still believe in Jesus. I just decided I don't need to go back to church. And along with that was, well, I don't need to give tithes and offerings anymore either. If I'm not going to church, what am I giving for? And so now all of a sudden there's this fundamental decision And I think I'm okay because I still believe Jesus is the Son of God. But now I got kids that were born during the pandemic who have never stepped foot in a church and they're two and three years old. There's a generation of nominal Christians that are now raising a godless generation because they were carried off in the Babylonian captivity. And we experience 
kind of a low-key captivity every year around this time. You know what I'm talking about? It's called Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's very subtle. Because Thanksgiving and Christmas are really all about God. But we tend to have godless Thanksgivings and godless Christmas. You know what I'm talking about where it's like, it's no longer about God, it's about thankfulness. I'm thankful for my family. But thankful to who? See, the first Thanksgiving was about giving an offering to God. And the first Christmas, the wise men came and gave offerings to Jesus. (laughs) Giving goes to a historically low between Thanksgiving and Christmas, worldwide across the body of Christ. Why? Because we suddenly become just a little bit of atheism. Just choke them, y'all. little bit of atheism. Poquito. Poquito atheismo. <laughs> That's not, how do you say atheism in, in Espanol? <laughs> hmm? How do you say it? Oh. Really the biblical foundation of what giving is all about, what financial giving is all about, has three components. First, giving is an acknowledgement of our source. When my wife and I give financially, we are acknowledging that God is our source. That everything we got, we got from him. Right? I told you you the story of my mother being at the basketball game at our school years ago, and a little kid next to her, his parents weren't around, and he wanted some nachos so bad and so my mother just leaned over and gave him some money. said, here, go buy your nachos. He was so happy. He came back. My mother said, can I have a nacho? He goes, no, get your own. <laughs> he forgot his source. Yeah, yeah. He forgot that quick who gave him those nachos to begin with. Yeah. She should have looked at him and said, give me my money back. <laughs> Them nachos is nachos. First Chronicles 29, 14, David is praying this prayer. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? This is where at, at the end of his life, he's giving all of his money for the building of the temple that his son Solomon's going to build. Yeah. I mean, he gives all of, his, all of his gold, all of his everything. He gives his entire money bin for the building of the temple. And then he prays this prayer. Who am I? And who are my people that we should be willing, that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? That's his prayer. He doesn't feel any sense of loss. He feels that he's blessed to be able to give. He says, For all things come from you, and of your own we have given and, and of your own we have given you. You hear what he's saying? We've just given you what's yours. It all belonged to you anyway. Don't get it twisted. You see, people say, Well, God wants my money. No, 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 no. You ain't got no money. It's all God's money anyway. David said, we've only given you of your own. We've only given you what already belongs to you. Everything we have comes from you anyway. So why would I be afraid to give to God what belongs to God? It's an acknowledgement of our source. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift, meaning you ain't got nothing that you have not been given. 
Secondly, giving is an expression of our thanks. First, it's an acknowledgement of our source. Secondly, it's an expression of our thanks. Meaning, once I recognize God as the source of everything I have, the natural result is thanksgiving. And this is an important point because otherwise you get it twisted and you get the order wrong. Because we tend to get the order wrong. You know what I mean? If I give God this, if I hook God up, then maybe he'll hook me up. No, 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 no. It's the opposite. God hooked you up and now you're going to hook him up. Your giving is a response. You're not establishing the relationship in your giving. God established it by blessing you with what you got right now. It's thankfulness. I'm giving out of a sense of blessedness, not out of a sense of hopefulness. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Lord, here's a 10. I'm believing you for a hundredfold return. I'm going to get that hundred. (laughs) Right? Lord, I'm going to hook you up with a George Washington. Please hook me up with a Ben Franklin. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. You hear what he's saying? You don't give out of a sense of religious obligation. Yeah. If it's an obligation, go back and pray. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't give yet. Wait until there's a freedom in this. Go get your, go. it means you've been chewing on the leaven of the Pharisees. You've been eating the wrong bread. And that leaven of the Pharisees has begun to work through your heart. Yeah. And you lost your thanksgiving. Yeah. And you lost your thanksgiving to God. And you know, it's funny because thankfulness is like this neurological practice. Everybody's talking about thankfulness as a neurological state of mind. If you want to build your state of mind, practice thankfulness, interactive gratitude. But I think you you got to make one fine distinction. Not just thankfulness. Thankfulness to God. Because there's an atheistic thankfulness. Even atheists can be thankful. The distinction is I'm thankful to God. Psalm chapter 50, verse 14 says, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the most. <laughs> and give the man his money. That's what, that's, what it literally, I mean, that's what it literally says. But it's out of thanksgiving. Out of thanksgiving. Can I say something? And I don't preach like this every Sunday. I know if you're a visitor here, you're thinking, I knew it. I knew it. I'm not coming back to this church. I haven't preached an offering. I haven't preached a sermon on giving. I'm going to tell you a couple things. First of all, um, years ago, when we first started the church in 2004, I was praying one day. I said, Lord, you know that I need millions of dollars to accomplish the vision that you've given me. So why don't you just send somebody to just drop you know, and, and we knew of a wealthy individual who actually would, would like visit church plants and just drop like huge sums of money in the plate. And so, you know, a couple people told me about him. They're like, you should give him a call. 
And I'm like, you know, I think I will. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, can I get his number? You know what I mean? He never showed up at our church. And I remember praying. I was like, Lord, you know, you know I need millions of dollars to accomplish the vision that you've given me. Why don't you just send some deep-pocketed person, you know, to just be our kingdom sugar daddy? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, for the kingdom. It's not about me driving rent Lamborghinis. That's, not, that's never been the vision. It's about the kingdom. It's about a harvest of souls. And the Lord said to me, if I did that, you would never teach the people to give. And then the church would be blessed, but the people wouldn't. And that is not my intention. And over the years, I got bolder and bolder in preaching on giving. And the reason I became bolder and bolder in preaching on giving, because I realized, I remember I was talking to Pastor Daniels about it one day. I was like, I don't want the people to feel manipulated. He goes, Benjamin, don't you and your wife practice faithful giving and even sacrificial giving? And haven't you done so for the entirety, not just of your pastorate, but of your Christian life? I said, yeah, of course. He goes, well, if it's good enough for you, why would you keep it from them? Like, I mean, you honestly see it as the doorway to blessing in your life, right? Like, you honestly see it as the, 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 the way through which God has blessed you and released blessing in your life, and you wouldn't give it up because you'd be giving up the source of your own blessing. Yeah. Don't you believe that? I said, yeah, I believe that 100%. And he goes, so if it's good enough for you, then why is it not good enough for your people? Why would you hide that from them? I was like, you know what? That's true. This verse here, I'm going to leave it on the screen. 50 verse 14. Put that, yeah, leave that there. I'm going to say one last thing, and this is a dangerous thing to say. Some of y'all made kingdom first pledges, and you didn't fulfill them. Now, some of y'all over-fulfilled your kingdom first pledge. Some of y'all came close, but didn't make it. This has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with the church. This is an admonition. And the Lord, I believe the Lord stirred my heart with this last night as I was praying for this service today. I believe that the Spirit of God would inspire you today to pick that up and to fulfill it. And to complete it. it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the church. But because I believe that God gave you faith on the day you made that pledge. I believe that God gave you faith on the day you made that pledge. And I believe that that faith is still good. Amen. Let's move on. Last point. Giving as an exercise of our faith. First, it's an acknowledgement of our source. Secondly, it's an expression of our thanks. But thirdly, it's an exercise of our faith. What do I mean by it's an exercise of our faith? You know, there have been many seasons in our life, my wife and I, including right now, in which if we were to meet with the financial advisor, first thing he would tell us is you need to decrease your giving to the church because you need to free up some more funds to make ends meet for your household. That's the first thing he would tell us right now. That's why we won't meet with no financial advisor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know why we would not take that advice? 
That's like telling somebody who's struggling financially, you need to cut down on your job. <laughs> because to us, we see our financial giving as a more formidable source of our blessing and provision than even our jobs. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. God said that, that there may be food in my house. And then he says, try me. Try me. Try me now in this, the only place in Scripture where God said, test me. Every other place, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here, God says, test me, try me, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you will not have room enough to receive. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every time I give my tithe, it is an expression of my faith, an exercise of my faith that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's very subtle, isn't it? Very subtle. Am I going to live kingdom first or self first? Am I going to live kingdom first or self first? Very subtle. Because making that fundamental distinction to cut God out of my money is a decision that works its way through the dough of my whole life. I'm a financial atheist. Then the next thing I know, I'm a, vo I'm a vocational atheist. The next thing I know, I'm a relational atheist. The next thing I know, I'm just an atheist. Because once I get in the habit of living like God's not real in one area of my life, I can't confine that. I can't confide. You just stay over here in my finances. Every other place, God is real. Well, if God is real, won't he supply my needs according to his riches and glory? If God is real, then how can giving to him be a loss? If God is real, then how is obedience to him in the realm of my finances a net loss? If God is real, there's nothing but gain. If God is real, then he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, I'm not trying to beat up nobody. Don't feel no shame. Just get some faith. That's all. Get some faith. And sometimes faith needs to be exercised one step at a time. Yeah. Just take a step towards it. Good. Take a step towards obedience. That's all. Yeah. Show God that you respond. And as the worship team comes back, I, 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 uh, I'm going to tell you one more thing. Come on. I remember preaching at a uh, teen challenge on like a Thursday night. All of these guys were battling addictions. A lot of them were there because the court told them you can either go there or you can go to jail. I'll never forget, I preached what I felt was the driest sermon I'd ever preached before in my life. This group of guys... I thought, God is not pleased with this message at all. I must have missed him. I don't know what it is, but the atmosphere was closed. Got to the end of the message. 
gave the invitation. And I said, uh, if you want to respond, come to this altar. There was a man standing in the front row, a young man. And he did this. He just took one step. When he took that one step, I felt the atmosphere open. And the presence of God filled that place. And the Lord spoke to my heart. The Lord gave me a word for him. And I, stepped, I took a step towards him. And I just rested my hand on his chest. I said, this is what the Lord says. Because you've taken a step towards me, I've now taken a step towards you. The power of God hit that young man. And he fell to the floor. First he manifested a demon. Then he got delivered. Then he got filled with the Holy Spirit right there at the altar. I went home not knowing what was happening with that young man in his life or his context. But two days later, the individual who invited me there to speak approached me. He said, what you don't realize is that young man had a court date the next morning. He had seen that same judge over and over again. And the judge had always seen this darkness over him. When he showed up at the court, the judge looked at him and said, what happened to you? You look different. And he said, I surrendered my life to Jesus last night and he delivered me and he filled me with his presence. And the judge said, I believe you. And the judge set him free. Ended his probation, all of it set him free. Two types of freedom he experienced in a 24-hour period. And all, it was all because of one step. Just one step. Sometimes obedience is just a step. That's all God's asking for, it's just a step. You know, when you hear messages like this, first thing you think is, oh no, I gotta go home and get this huge offering. No, 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 just take a step. Just take a step. Don't let it overwhelm you, just take a step. Because the one thing I realize, it's funny, you know, the Lord has been speaking to me so much over the last couple of weeks, but this last week, I was talking to the Lord about so many different issues in my life and crying out to God. You know what he said? He said, Benjamin, I want you to slow down. You've been living frantically. You eat frantically. Some of y'all are laughing because you've seen me eat. Every time I eat, my wife's like, what is, the, what is wrong with you? Is it going to run away? Is that the last sandwich on earth? Jeez. You drive frantically. And you wear yourself out trying to do everything at once. I was crying out to the Lord, Lord, i got to some, lose some weight. i got to lose some weight. So I put together this whole weight plan for myself, and I'm going to lose it all in three months. And the Lord said, son, why do you have to lose it all in three months? I want you to lose it over a year. I want you to slow down. And the night the Lord spoke to this to me, I was just so overwhelmed. It was a Monday and I was trying to rest. But I was restless. My wife had gone to get a lathe. I had the whole evening to myself. But I just couldn't rest and tried to turn on the TV and there's nothing on the TV. So I go to my office and try to work on something, but I'm like, I'm too tired to work and I'm just, I couldn't rest. And finally I went and sat at the table and started to journal. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I confess that I don't know how to rest and I need, to, I need you to teach me how to rest. And the Lord said, son, 
The reason you can't rest is because you're always trying to do everything frantically. And you're even trying to rest frantically. The Lord said, I want you to learn how to live in slow motion. And the Lord said, so this is what you're going to do. Right now, I want you to clean your house. But I want you to clean it literally in slow motion. And I'll be with you. So I literally got up, went to my living room like this. And I picked up a blanket that was spread out and I folded it in slow motion. And I cleaned the whole living room in slow motion. And then I cleaned the dining room. And then I cleaned the kitchen. And then I vacuumed all of the floors. And then I cleaned all of the counters. Slow motion. And it was restful. The work was restful. And the Lord said, son, I'm going to teach you how to rest even while you work. I'm going to teach you how to work restfully instead of frantically. Listen, I just beat you up about giving. Here's how I want you to approach it. Maybe you've just been sitting on the couch and you have not activated faith to give. I want you to move towards giving in slow motion. Maybe for you, that slow motion, just that step of faith is, I'm going to start giving God 1%. And over the next year, I'm going to go 1%, until I get to the tithe. Just move in slow motion. But just take a step. Take a step towards God. That's the decision. I'm going to take a step towards God. Not taking a step towards fulfilling a religious obligation that we call tithing. Taking a step towards acknowledging God as my source. Expressing my thanksgiving to Him. And exercising my financial faith that He is my provider. It's taking a step towards the kingdom first life. Where I'm seeking the kingdom and His righteousness above all things. I'm taking a step. You should not leave the house of God without making a decision that you're going to take a step towards God, even if it's a small step. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He, the father saw him afar off and ran to him. When you take one step towards God, God covers the distance. He runs the west of the way. Just a step. But you've got to make a decision to take that step. Because some of you are thinking, okay, I'm going to move in slow motion towards the decision to take a step. No, you need to move quickly towards the decision to move in slow motion. Because I, I think, okay, I'm going to start thinking about obedience. No, that's, that's disobedience. That's not a step. That whole, con well, God knows my heart. <laughs> Only God can judge me. Have you seen that meme? Only God can judge me. This is God. Go to hell. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, and he does. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. Take a step. Take a step. Take a step. Take a step. Father, I pray today, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would stir every heart, every soul, that you would activate faith. Activate faith. Remove the overwhelm. 
and replace it with encouragement and clarity and faith. God, I want so badly for your people to be blessed. But Lord, I know that the path toward our blessing is our financial faithfulness. The path toward our blessing is when we activate our faith to trust you with our finances in the realm of our finances. But God, we cannot cut you out of our finances and think we're living for you fully. But God, you're calling us into this place of faith, trust, and encouragement. Lord, if any of my words were discouraging or brought about shame, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd cover that, overwhelm that. I pray that the words today would be received as inspiration, as encouragement. Enlighten our hearts, overwhelm our minds. We give you praise. Come on, worship team, what are we singing? What are we singing? In Jesus' name.